production. Part 7 of our regional Queensland business showcase takes us inland to Toowoomba, where we meet a globally recognised wallpaper manufacturer and a third generation family jeweller. It's a very bespoke episode 573 of the 12 year old award winning small business big marketing podcast. And welcome back to your weekly dose of beautifully designed marketing. I'm your host, Timbo Reed, and I have an insatiable curiosity for uncovering marketing strategies and ideas to help that business of yours grow. You, so much more importantly, are a motivated business owner ready to crank out some great marketing to build that beautiful business of yours into the empire it absolutely deserves to be. And that's exactly what we do around here. It's exactly why this podcast exists in order to help you. So thank you for finding it. As per usual, team, there is marketing G-O-L-D dripping from the ceiling over here at Small Business Big Marketing's HQ. So let's get stuck right in. Quick check-in before we meet our first guest. For all those who are members of the Small Business Big Marketing Facebook tribe, and if you aren't, then I suggest you do become a member. I haven't been inside that group for uh, a couple of weeks. I've had a little bit of spinal surgery, team. I had a, I had something removed from my spine, and I'm absolutely fine. A little bit sore, a little bit ginger. The show must go on. But uh, yeah, sorry to all you tribesters. I will be back in there uh, very shortly. And uh, by the way, loving the content that you guys are creating. The roadshow that I'm on at the moment, and yes, I have managed to do it in between spinal procedures, has been absolutely fantastic. So if you don't know, I've been traveling from Queensland down to the Gold Coast, not in one hit, flying here, flying there, getting a train, all this kind of stuff. Speaking at these business events put on by Listener, the podcast network that I'm a part of, and speaking to business owners in each city, uh, many listeners have been popping up and saying good day. I've been absolutely loving that. Uh, We've had panel discussions with uh, local business owners, local business identities, and I give a one-hour keynote around marketing. It's been really valuable. I've loved it. I know the audiences have been really responsive. If you are in regional Australia somewhere, in New South Wales, Victoria, South Australia, you know, or anywhere, send us a note if you'd like us to come to your city and I'll put it to the uh, powers that be and see whether we can make it happen because it's absolutely been fantastic for businesses in regional Queensland. Uh, so send me a note, tim at timreed.com.au and that's R-E-I-D and uh, we may be able to get a bit of a groundswell if you would like us to come to your region town in somewhere in regional Australia. All right, well this week we head inland to Toowoomba to meet Lachlan Hogan, a third generation family jeweller who is on an absolute mission to ensure the 76-year-old family business he's now in charge of stays relevant in what's a pretty competitive marketplace. And he's got some great insights to share, has young, young Lachlan. But first, let's meet Bryce Cap, the co-founder, along with his brother, of Milton and King, a multi-million dollar e-commerce wallpaper business based in regional Queensland, but with offices in the US and the UK. You're going to love Bryce for a bunch of reasons, not least of which is his story of how the business came to be, 
Why he quickly pulled out of wholesaling and went 100% online, he's got some great insights into customer service and the all-important customer experience. And here he is explaining why he decided to start a wallpaper business in the first place. Uh, it's a pretty long story, to be honest. We started off in canvas prints. I came back from Spain, having lived over there for a few years, with this bold idea of, of doing canvas prints and selling those to interior design trade. We borrowed some money off our oldest brother to buy our first printer, and we started doing that. We were, Richard was knocking up frames, and I was printing. And in our wisdom, we did a brochure up that... Uh, that said we could do wallpaper, and we obviously we couldn't. <laughs> oops. Uh, yeah. Maybe not oops. Maybe not, yeah. So that actually got more uh, interest than anything else. So we, we then thought, well, there might be something in this, and and we dove into it. But there was no off-the-shelf, you know, solution. So we, we were basically using the, the printer we had for canvas prints. and Kind of interesting uh, to just leap into wallpaper with no wallpaper experience. It's not as if wallpaper, and correct me if I'm wrong here, because I actually personally love wallpaper, but uh, I imagine as a market, it's not huge. And most people Uh, just divert immediately to paint. Yeah, no, paint is the preferred option. Um, Yeah, look, it was a bit of a a jump. We saw that there was potentially a market there, so we, we, we got into it basically, and we were... Young and... Uh, Bryce, when you say you saw a market there, what did you see specifically? Well, just the interest that we were getting from, from interior designers and also that there was no one in that segment that was actually doing a on-demand digital wallpaper. Really, there was no one on the planet doing it at that time. So, yeah, we just thought, well, there's got to be a solution here for, for a digital solution. So we... We, we dove into it and, and developed, basically. So, so was your offering at that time on-demand digital as opposed to here's a whole different lot of designs of which they're ready to go, but we're not doing anything on-demand and if you don't like it, well, then that's all we've got? Yeah, like we were doing custom stuff then. Um, because of the, the cost of production, we had to do a, a custom finish. So it was a per square metre rate, which was pretty high. We made a little bit of money out of it, but really not much. Um and it just sort of gave us the leg up to, to then dive into the direction we are now. But it was all custom. the biggest hurdle, Bryce, in, in getting Milton and King to market? Oh, look, it's always been capital. Like every startup, it's, it's, it's always capital. We're completely customer-funded, so it's, it's, um, it's been a long, long journey. But capital and, and equipment. Okay. So equipment as in equipment that wouldn't be easy to find in Australia because there's not a whole lot of wall manufacturers in Australia. So you had to import no. it? No, so there was no no off-the-shelf solution, as I said earlier. So we had to wait for technology to catch up a bit, which it did probably about, I don't know, six years ago, I suppose. It caught up um, and allowed us to buy a machine or, or a couple of machines that would, that would do the, the process pretty easily. So um, the Milton and King offering now is it's an online store. You yep. quickly realised, from what I can tell, that the market in Australia wasn't big enough to keep you blokes going forever. So you had to embark overseas and we'll talk about that in a minute. But you've got 600 designs on that store now and you're adding one every week? Yeah, it'd be about that. Um, <laughs> we're pretty busy. So there's, there'd be about 600 designs, but if you take into account all the different colourways, we're probably looking at over, you know, 1,500 SKUs. We add them, because we are on demand and completely digital, we can take a file, we can we can get it up online before we even really print it. So it's we can see that something's going to work. We create the file, 
do the artwork and get it live. So, and there's no risk, obviously, because it's we're not printing anything until it's sold. Do you have in-house artists that are constantly creating new designs or do you go and find artists whose work you'd like and license it? How does that work? We do a bit of both. I'm a graphic designer, so I, I do it. Originally, I did most of it, but my time's now more in marketing. So it's we curate a collection now. So we find artists that we like the look of and we approach them to create wallpapers, basically. We also receive a lot of submissions and from artists from all over the globe, so... Um, it tends to find us, to be honest. And do people come to you with, you know, a photo or a design of their own? That yeah, they try to, but we don't actually do that. That's not, yeah, that's not our thing. That's a bit cheap for the Milton and Kingway, which I've got to <laughs> say, mate, I mean, it's a really impressive looking brand. Uh, your, your website's are actually a joy to just spend some time and go through. If you're into design and aesthetic which is kind of funny coming from a bloke who doesn't know whether to match his socks with his shoes or his belt, but we'll put that aside. I mean, clearly, as a graphic designer, you've spent some time creating a brand that is quite premium in the way it looks. Yeah, well, that's always been our main focus, to create a brand that was, you know, that that's where the value is. Um, you know, anyone now with, with technology being where it is could take photos off the internet and print them and make wall murals, but... At the end of the day, it's the brand that sells, and it's 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 the look, and it's the you know it's that that aesthetic that we have, which sets us apart. That's really interesting. So what you're saying there is your brand is your point of difference in in it's not actually a crowded marketplace. I mean, there's plenty there's plenty more crowded marketplaces than wallpaper, but your your brand really makes you stand out. Yeah, it, it, there's a lot of traditional players that have been around for a very long time. Um, we're a very uh, young player in this in this market and, and there's a lot of businesses like us that are doing a digital solution but again they're not offering a 10 meter roll they're doing a wall mural or, or something to that effect or removable which is a different product altogether are there wallpaper fanatics out there and if there are do you engage with them um there is yeah there's there's people that that have paper in every room which yeah, which is our market, you know. They're the people that are expressive enough to, to, to try it. We definitely, we have a pretty big outreach program and that's how we how we get in front of a lot of these people. What do you mean by an outreach program? Our main uh, source of marketing for a long time was just using influencers to get our product out. So we, we're pretty intensive in that, um, mostly in the US, but that's our easiest way to get in front of people. And then we use that content that we get back from those influencers, you know, through our whole marketing channel, basically. Sounds like you're ahead of the game. Influencers has sort of come into its own probably in the last, I'd probably say three or four years, but you were doing it before then? Well, we've had to do it because of, the, again, that lack of capital. Um, it was our only way of, of marketing. So we'd give away two, three roles and get content back and also reach out to their following. Just step me through. How do you identify an influencer? How do you contact them? What do you send them and what do you ask of them? Um, so we find them, we, we use a software called Grin, which helps with contracts and, and connections and so on. Basically, we get a lot of influencers that come to us, obviously, but we also uh, find ones that, that uh, have the, not necessarily the size, but they have the engagement, have the aesthetic that we do, have a loyal following, often a blog, needs to be a blog. And in return, we, it's all written, it's all uh, under contract, but in return we, we get video, images, a blog post, reviews, 
all that sort of jazz, yeah. So, so that content that we get back from them is is basically what we then reuse through all our our advertising and and so on. You realise the Aussie market wasn't big enough. Your brother packs his bags and moves across to the states and opens up a Milton King branch in the United States of America. Not bad yeah. for a little business from Toowoomba. <laughs> no, no. Look, that was a bit of a bit of a risk, and we probably did it. Uh, well, we did it earlier than we were intended, purely because we had to. Yeah, the market just wasn't big enough for us here and it wasn't sustaining us, so we had to take that leap and chase the market, be where the market is, basically. So, yeah, that was the reason for that. I, I don't, I can't even get my head around How do you open up? Where do you go? What, what state does he land in? How does he find well, an office? How does he find, you know, there's so many questions there. Did you just throw caution to the wind or is he married to a girl from California? I don't know. What? No, no, so... Well, at the time he was uh, he was seeing a girl, but that was it. But he packed his bag, which was just a carry on, I think, and off he went. Um, we'd already been to, to Austin uh, in Texas, and we checked that out. And we also did a trip to New York and, and trying to work out where would would suit us. Austin at the time in 2016 was just on its upward trend, and, and it was becoming quite fashionable. So we we got in there pretty early. It was, you know, a similar sort of vibe to Brisbane, I guess. So we thought, oh, well, this will this this suits us. Um, it's not far from Dallas, which is a main uh, transport hub. So it just, you know, it, it was a good spot. Uh, and he, over he went, yeah. What what did he do to immerse himself in that community of designers? Did he have contacts? Was it a positive being an, an Aussie? Yeah, look, from, from all reports, being an Aussie certainly helped him. Um, I guess at the time it was more about just getting over there to do customer support and to uh, reduce those those shipping times. So we were sending stock at that time, so uh, it made a fair bit of sense to have a warehouse there and, and ship it that way. But uh, we've changed production since then, so it's slightly different. But, yeah, he just basically got over there. He's very good at talking to people, so it was quite easy for him and away he went. You must have had a massive shipping bill. 80, you get to 80% of your business was over in the States and you're shipping over? Yeah, yeah, so that's right. We run about 80%. So, you know, the shipping bill's big. So, yeah, our next step is to start producing locally over there or domestically over there and, and reduce that shipping bill. Oh, you still haven't done that? You still are shipping? Yeah, we're still shipping from here. So, so samples and uh, are done domestically. You can jump online, order a sample and be at your door in a couple of days. Um but finished goods can't still come from, from Toowoomba. Do you know the thing that scares me the most about wallpaper? What's that? Have a guess. You must know. Putting it up or taking it off. <laughs> Hanging it. You got one shot at it. No, it's very easy. Very easy. Look, paper, like all things, paper technology or, or paper production has improved over the years and and non-woven wallpaper is is a piece of cake to install and, and comes off in big sheets. Like you are selling it beautifully. Yeah. What do you say to the Milton and King client who rings and says, Mr. Cap, I've uh, I've just spent 1200 bucks on some rolls of wallpaper. I've hung the first roll and I've completely stuffed it up. Well, we don't, I mean, usually we ask, whose wallpaper is it? Because it doesn't sound like it'd be ours. Ah, uh, there you go. <laughs> But no, it doesn't happen often. It is pretty easy to install. You, you talk on your website about plenty of bruised egos in the early days of Milton and King. Was that your ego, your brother's ego? Who are we talking? Oh, no, I think a combination of the, of the two of us. I guess that, what that refers to is, you know, when all our mates are in high-paying bank jobs or, or, you know, doing well in their late 20s, early 30s, and we're still, you know, 
scrounging money together. I guess that was probably what that refers to. Well, that's that tide's changed. A $6 million a year wallpaper business out of regional Toowoomba. Pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, it's getting there. It is, certainly is. We're not quite at $6 million. We were $4 million last year. We're on target for 6 this year, hopefully so. Are you happy at with this. that? Oh, look, no, we're not. We want a lot more than that. We can see that there's a lot more in it. Um, yeah, so, yeah. No, there's heaps to go. Does, does that mean you're looking at a market that you've hardly got a grip on and you can see the potential? But for what for what reason? Manufacturing capacity, lack of lack of capital. What what? Why can't you quickly? <laughs> why can't you quickly grow more of that market into more of that market? Well, I guess it it, it is because we're not locally manufacturing it there yet. There's a bit of that. There's, I mean, there's different segments of the market. There's there's wholesale, which we also do. We print for other brands. Those opportunities in the US are, are far greater than they are here. Just being there locally and um, customer support and all those sort of things improve when you're there. And basically, yeah, it's capital and, and size of the team, I guess. We, you know, we can't do everything and we can't do everything quickly. So that's probably the main thing. But it takes time. I've seen you talk about uh, a great customer journey being key to a great business. Is that something you pride yourself on? Yeah, we do. Look, we've worked pretty hard on on our customer support. Buying wallpaper online is 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 new to most people. You know, there's some that they all need education around the product, how hard it might be to install, all those sorts of things, how quickly it'll arrive, what pace to use. So there's a fair bit of education involved in it. Um, and then there's a lot of support required. So it really, it's 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 introducing that customer to the brand and then making sure they're happy with their finished product. Basically, that's that's the journey we're striving to to maintain. Yeah. What what's the most effective way, Bryce, that you get wallpaper on people's radars? Because I guess your marketing communication strategy could be targeting people who want wallpaper, but then there's that whole market that are off painting their house. Mm. And you could sort of do this negative, positive marketing message, which is, hey, don't paint your house, wallpaper it. Do you do that? Is there sort of a bit of a mix there? Yeah, look, we don't really compete with paint because we can't, I don't think, because you, it, it's cheaper to paint. Most people will, will consider it easier and they're familiar with it. Um, for us, we're, we're generally targeting people that are into wallpaper or have previous experience with wallpaper. All those first timers that have 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 seen their favourite interior designer put it up, and or the or a blogger that they follow use it, and are willing to give it a go. Like that's that we get a lot of first time users, and and they're just just mostly mums that are willing to give it a go. It's interesting, you know. Like we painted our house in November last year, the whole house inside and out, and we didn't consider wallpaper because it wasn't on our radar. My girlfriend, Sarah, absolutely, you know, loves interiors and aesthetics and all that. I showed her your website last week. She says, this is awesome. She's chosen a couple of wallpapers that she wants to change, you know, walls that we spent however much painting, you know, six months ago. Yeah. She wants to wallpaper. So, A, you can have a discount. (laughs) No, 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 no. Uh, (laughs) My point being, 
there, there is a market. I mean, we're a market that like, I don't know how you, how you would have got, gotten to us because we were in the mm. paint market, not the wallpaper market. But to me, that just seems like, you know, your problem is you don't have a marketing budget like, uh, like a Dulux or a Berger, do you? You, you, you can't compete with that. No, you cannot. It's a tough one. Uh, it really is. And particularly in Australia, it is a really hard sell for us. So yeah, it is tough. That's why we're probably not growing at the speed we want to. In terms of, you know, do you have a blog or a podcast or a YouTube channel that you're constantly educating and training people to come around to wallpaper? Yeah, we have a blog. We're pretty heavy on the Instagram and the Pinterest. So that's mostly where our traffic comes from. But a lot of it's, you know, word of mouth through those those influencers in the US. That's where largely our, our, our market comes from. Is, is there a bit of a cringe factor around wallpaper still that you need to work through in terms of people going, oh, it's a bit 1972? Your yeah, prints sorry. are not 1972, by the way. They're much more no. 1973. No, no, that's not true. <laughs> 2021. <laughs> there, yeah. Yeah, so there is still a bit of that cringe. but Well, there is, yeah. And, and, and everyone, well, they still believe it's hard to get off the wall and it's tricky to put up. So there's that uh, hurdle that we've got across um, and that's just about education like hopefully one day a big brand will roll through and so we'll educate the market and on the back of that we'll get more sales that'd that'd be the ideal thing that would be ideal yeah that's interesting because sometimes you know business owners have to make that decision do we take it on ourselves to educate the market and grow it for Mm. everyone or do we wait for a bigger player to come through it's probably not going to happen anytime do you think a big player will come through a big what what is the biggest wallpaper brand in the world uh, well, it depends on what, what you're in. Like, if you're in commercial vinyl, um, there's a couple of big producers in the US, and there's a big sellers here in Australia too in commercial vinyl. In domestic wallpapers, there's there's quite a few big brands that, that do a lot of volume. And, they're, you know, they've been around for a very long time, you know, 50 to 100 years. So it's um, there's some big brands out there, yeah. What's your favourite design, Bryce, in the Milton and King archive? Oh, it's a tough one. Um... I don't know. I really don't know. I like them all, I guess. I mean, I curate most of them, so <laughs> one of the ones that's uh, cheap and easy to print, I guess. Being in Toowoomba, it's a big regional town in Queensland. How has that aided your growth or has it hindered it? Uh, look, it, it, it wouldn't have done either, to be honest. Um, we don't get walk-ins. We don't sell it locally. So it's really just a, a lifestyle choice to come to Toowoomba. We're Toowoomba boys. We went to school here and, and it was just easier for us to come up here and, and get into it. The internet's just as quick. It's, you know, it's just a good spot to do it. I interviewed the girls from Spell and the Gypsy Collective, a, a clothing brand out of Byron Bay. It's mainly online. Uh, they have a flagship store, though, in Byron that people come from all over the world to visit pre-COVID yeah. uh, and it works a treat for them because it sort of makes an intangible online brand tangible and builds a bit more trust. Have you ever thought of having a Milton and King showroom in, you know, Macquarie Street, Sydney or uh, Anne Street, Bris- James Street, Brisbane? <laughs> yeah. Look, the, the thought's crossed our mind. It certainly has. Um, Toowoomba's no Byron Bay, so it wouldn't be much good here. But no, it has crossed our mind. And, and if anywhere, we'd probably do it in the US. Um, probably get a lot more traffic if we did it there. No doubt. Well, great story, Bryce. Thanks for sharing it, mate. Uh, MiltonandKing.com is where all you design aficionados can go and bring your next home to life. It's a great website just to look at from a whole lot of different angles, you know, the, the quality to the design, to the usability, to the customer experience. Well done, mate. Thanks, mate. It's always a work on, though. It's, it's not always uh, 100%. Oh, I know the feeling. <laughs> yeah. 
Thank you, Bryce. Pleasure. Well, there you go, team. Milton and King wallpaper aficionado, Bryce Cap. Not every day you get to speak to a wallpaper aficionado. Now, I love the fact that Bryce sees his brand as a major point of difference, and I would agree with him as he's put a lot of effort into creating a premium look and feel for Milton and King. That said, if you're thinking of using your brand as a way of standing out, then be sure to put the upfront work into identifying and understanding what your brand stands for. Talked a lot about this in past episodes, and a major part of doing this is to intimately understand your ideal customer and being very clear on the personality you want to get across. I'm also impressed uh, regarding Bryce at how early they were using social influences to create awareness around his relatively new brand. You know, if you'd like to learn more about that whole world of the social influences, micro-influences, gone mad, hasn't it? Then take a listen to a chat I had with Jules Lund a few years ago who owns the social influencer agency Tribe. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And I love how Bryce's brother packed his bag, his overnight bag, no less, and took off to the States to start building the business globally with very few contacts or money. That right there, team, is business courage. Love to know what grabbed your attention. Call the Small Business Big Marketing Hotline. I promise I won't answer, but you can leave a recorded message uh, for up to five minutes. 0480 0150. Righto, let's meet third generation jeweller Lachlan Hogan of Hogan's Family Jewellers located in downtown Toowoomba. Now, Lockie's business is not dissimilar to most other jewellers. He has a shop on a main street. He's a designer by trade and employs another 10 just like him, designing all the usual pieces, you know, rings, necklaces, bracelets. But what makes Lachlan's business special is that it's Queensland's largest regional jeweller with a multi-million dollar turnover and it's a 76-year-old third-generation family business with clients all over the world. I started off by asking Lachlan if it was his dream to become a jeweller in his family business or was it simply expected of him? Yeah, no, I wouldn't say it was expected of me from a young age or anything because, you know, my dad uh, had a hell of a time trying to keep this place, you know, alive and going for a long period of time and, and establishing it to what it is and the stress of it all, the financial pressure, everything that he felt throughout a lot of years. He actually told us, he ne- all of us, his kids, he never wanted us to go through that. It's quite a a weird situation to end up now in that same position after he didn't want us to do that, but I have ended up in it not only because I wanted to, but I've also got a really defined skill for art and workshop were my two favourite subjects at school, and those skills are what jewellery making is. So it really suited me, and and I love designing and making jewellery, but just, you know, having this business and and the stress and the pressure of it comes along with that, so... Was it a moment in time when you sat Dad down and said, hey, listen, Dad, I know you've warned me against this. I've seen what you've been through, but I'm going ahead and I'd like to be the third generation or was it just something that happened over time? It's something... I just did my apprenticeship. I didn't really think too much about it because, you know, I just was thinking, oh, like, I wouldn't mind making jewellery. I'll have a crack at doing an apprenticeship and... And it all went well, and I did a design course over in, in Italy, a jewellery design specialist course, and just was doing my really my passion and my hobby. And 
after that getting into the business side of things then I started to feel stress and pressure I didn't have felt that when I was a younger guy and it sort of you know then you started to get the pressure and everything of dealing with all the clients and you're still a young bloke you're 30 years old you're running a third yeah. generation business you've got a creative yeah. passion and bent you've been to Italy to yeah. explore that you've studied yeah. that at a tertiary level which yeah. in any of those situations correct me if I'm wrong but they don't teach you how to run a business they teach you how to make a nice ring so how are you transitioning into that business side of things? Is it is it easy or difficult? Um, yeah, I, I actually find the business thing not that difficult, really. I've, you know, growing up with this business in our family, we've always understood how it operates and what is required and, and the commitment level needed. I've never done a business course or anything, but I've, you know, just got a good background of understanding, really, and doing the job on the job site is the best way to learn of how to how to manage and run something you know going to uni for four years wasn't my cup of tea but at the end of the day someone with a uni degree may do it very similarly to the way i've done it just through learning how my parents and and grandparents did it so does it dampen um, your creativity when you know you've got to address a payroll issue or you've got to talk about hiring new staff or I know you're going through a rather large expansion process so there's a whole lot of real estate questions um I mean yes one you've got to take your creative jewelry design hat off and and you know your craftsman hat off to do the business side of things but you know that's what I find a real skill of a business owner is being able to flick a switch and turn from a staff member within their business doing what people come to see them for to then flick a switch and all of a sudden you're running the business and you've got to make business decisions with staff or with suppliers or with invoices and and all your financial side of things. That's the business owner's side and when you're in a small business you're expected to do both. And that's what I find the real skill and the real sort of impressive side of a small business is you've got to be a business person, but you've also got to be the highly skilled person that people are there to see. No doubt. In this regional Queensland series that I'm doing, I spoke earlier to Daniel Condon of Polar Industries in Townsville. Now, Daniel, sparky by trade, but very quickly realised he needed to get off the tools and do the business stuff, which he embraced. He loves it. He's very glad to say yeah. goodbye to the tools. Do you yeah. fear the day when you no longer have the time to make a piece of jewellery? That's approaching quicker than I ever thought because we're getting so busy and I'm doing more and more designs every day and sitting with clients, which I love both sides. I love designing and making pieces, so I don't have a preference on what I do. I prefer actually to do them both equally. But these days I'm, I seem to be doing designs more often than making pieces so my time on the bench is very limited and that is a problem for me because i actually love it and i i don't want to give it up i'm not one of those people that are looking forward to getting off the tools and not ever doing it i actually you know i'm thinking now nowadays i already do six days a week and mostly in the store in the design cubicles in the workshop maintaining everyone's workload and and ordering components and whatever you know my biggest problem is i'm losing my time on a bench and now i'm starting to think i should be doing bench work on a sunday i'm thinking that's my day i can actually keep up my my skills and my passion because during the monday to saturday you know six day a week job i don't get time for it so i'm um i'm sort of of the opposite opinion my goal isn't to get off the off the tools as much as dad says i need to and just focus on growing different areas and, and all that sort of stuff you know i do love it and that's my goal 
You and your dad have, from what I can tell in our conversations off air, differing philosophies around moving the business forward. The young Buck Lachlan's come in and said, you know, all guns blazing, we've got to do this, we've got to do that. And your dad's like, yeah, yeah, I've never yeah. done that. That's just yeah. like it's part of family business. How, how do you navigate those conversations? Do you just stick um, your feet in the ground and go, this is how I'm going to do it? Or Yeah, I mean, I was in a unique situation because my dad actually left to Brisbane for the last oh, probably five or six years he had. He took over a little store down there and had a goal of transforming that because <clears throat> I was here in our business in Toowoomba and running it well and didn't really need his help too much. So he either had the choice of retirement or go and chase another dream or goal that he had and that was to have a store in the big smoke. And so he went for that and left me here. So I was left to make at the age of about 23 or 4 with a set of keys to a 70-year-old family business. What a um, great endorsement by your old man to say, hey, listen, I, I reckon you've got this, Lockie. I'm, well, yeah, he, he must have liked what he saw previously and he just handed me the keys and said, just keep doing what I've always done and I'm just going to try something out in Brisbane. And, and it lasted five years and when he came back here, this place was... 60-70% bigger or better than it was when he left and um, now he's he, his plan was to retire and got rid of the Brisbane store he's come back to work here in Toowoomba temporarily and he's seen how busy, chaotic and everything we are and how much it's grown that that's what's helped convince him that we need to go to the next level which is my next plan. I want to know what levers you pulled to add 60 or 70% in five years. Before that, though, your old man's gone down to Brisbane. He's bought a store. Did that become a Hogan's family jeweler's brand or did it be remain? No, he um, he just took over a little family, original family business down in Brisbane with a similar background to us, but he didn't want to tra- change the name because he didn't want it to look like we were expanding and, and putting stores out around the country or something. And then all of a sudden in five years, because he had a five-year window before retirement, he didn't want to then close it and look like we were going backwards. And and Lockie, did he come back at any point and go, geez, geez, son, it's a hell of a lot easier running a jewellery empire in regional Queensland than in Queensland's capital city or he's made no... Um, no, there was a big experience. Um, it, it taught us not to take for granted our history and our establishment here that we've got with our area because, you know, we just get people walk through the door constantly, almost at an uncontrollable rate, who just will, you know, accept any job that we insist on them doing. You know, our quotes, if we suggest something, they say, yep, no problem, do it. You know, there's no questions asked. There's no trust issues because we've been here so long doing such a good job and have such a good reputation that people don't even question or go anywhere else. They just walk straight in and um, and they pretty well proceed with the jobs. Whereas down there in Brisbane, you know, you're the new kid on the block down there. So it was more the other way around. They're going, okay, I don't know this guy. I've never seen this guy. I better check and get a maybe a price check somewhere else or see what someone else's opinion is and so stepping into a new field where you didn't have much of a name especially because you didn't establish the hogan's name which we do have a lot of brisbane and gold coast and sunshine coast clients who have somehow had a connection with toowoomba in the past but they didn't recognize that we were down there because the hogan's name wasn't down there so he was in in a in a different name store, so no one really knew, knew it was him down there. You've got a massive. You might not have given any thought to this, but I'll give it a go anyway. You've got a massive asset in seventy six years of being in business, three generations. You are entrenched in the Toowoomba fabric DNA, and yes. that 
creates trust. Like you said, uh, people are less price sensitive. They look to you for guidance, inspiration. It's an easier sell. If you were opening up a jewellery shop today, do you have you ever given any consideration as to what you would do to accelerate the building of trust? I don't think there is anything much you can do except years and years of hard work and dedication and honest work and you know, recommendations and things like that, you can't, it's not something you can buy. There's no amount of money in a budget and a marketing budget that buys trust or buys a reputation. And that's something we understood very heavily as soon as we went down there. You can stock the window with as much jewelry as you want or market it as heavily as you want on Facebook, but there's no amount of money that will build the trust instantly. And it's only something that time will build and you need to just do a a continuous amazing job for a long time, which is to our credit. I think from the feedback I get, that's what we've done over a long period of time. We haven't focused the business on, you know, I look at businesses all around the country that are 75 years old or over 50. They've got either stores all around the country, they've got, you know, all sorts of things going on, except by doing that you're reducing the level of quality of service quality of stock quality of everything quality of staff knowledge everything is reduced because your attention is divided between multiple stores or multiple outlets and i just i understand scalability for sales success and all that sort of thing but it's not a great business model in the terms of a great business feedback and all of that side of the business you know of of getting a good reputation for quality, loyalty, and all that sort of stuff. You said you increased business. I'm gathering you meant turnover when the old man went down to Brisbane by 60 to 70%. What were those levers, those two or three levers that you did pull in order to do that? Was it turnover? First of all, was it turnover or was it cost saving? A bit of everything, actually. I noticed some areas that we could save money in, which, you know, that was just you just look at where the dollars are going and you go, well, do we really need that? Do we really need this? We're paying for a couple of things here that aren't really getting us any more business. And, and definitely in areas of marketing, I, I was I was very conscious of that. In a small business, your marketing dollars have to be conservative. So I looked at, geez, we're spending a lot of money on TV ads. TV ads don't really give you much of a guide on who's seeing the ad and you know, you don't, you can't really target your audience very accurately. So we went, right, what if we halve the budget and go into the social media side of things? We pretty well canned TV ads for five years and went into social media and did more targeted style advertising to people who are our suitable sort of clientele, which straight away halved the marketing budget, but I reckon probably gained more traction. I would probably argue, <coughs> and I, the TV ads would be a great way of building awareness, although awareness in Toowoomba of Hogan family jewellers is, yeah. is pretty yeah. high. Were you able to re- redirect some of that TV or, or radio money that you may have been spending back into a better creative strategy on the same mediums? Or I think... I think um, yeah, we just we really just focused into social medias more because we'd done so many other different mediums of advertising in the past, newspapers and magazines and, you know, the TV predominantly and things like that. Whereas, you know, you put all the dollars into those things, you don't actually know who reads it, how many people read it, what age they were, who, who were reading it, you know. They can give you a bit of a guide, the TV stations, on those sort of things. But when you can go into Facebook and you can define your own audience for a particular post, you know, if it's an engagement ring, I'm going to nail the 25 to 40-year-old market or if it's a nice older-style piece of jewellery that suits a, a lady, you know, who might be in her 50s or 60s, 
let's target that audience. So you can really define who you want to send this post to and it's really effective for any business, but we've found it to be effective for us. Mind you, I can see Hogan's family jewelers TV ads in the middle of Bachelor or Bachelorette, eh? That'd go down the <coughs> We We are running them currently in the middle of The Bachelor. And we just ran them through Farm Wants a Wife and, oh, yeah. you know, all those sorts of shows that need a jeweller at the end of it, I guess. No doubt. Uh, any other levers you pulled? So um, redirecting some marketing funds? Uh, I, my biggest thing was I looked at areas to grow. So in terms of where where can we grow that will bring the, that does bring dollars in and, and that is what we're good at that a lot of people don't offer. And that's our workshop. It's our engine room that we, you know, have always had three or four jewellers in the workshop just like any... I guess small to medium-sized jewellery store. You have a few jewellers on the bench. Dad was one of them. And I was the fifth sort of jeweller as an apprentice. As I became qualified, and we started to pick up a lot of friends' jobs and advertise the workshop more, and I started doing my thing with designing and all that sort of side of the business. It, it picked up, and, and I've gone with it and gone, right, let's get another trainee or an apprentice let's get another trainee or apprentice and, and we've slowly added one and one and one and now we're up to 11 of us in the workshop and instead of I guess dad was always just happy with having a few guys and it was lower stress because less staff and you know less jobs to maintain and design and order stones for it just everything was less you know it's easier and less stressful but I sort of had this desire to grow it bigger because I could see the opportunity so yeah, on one side we're saving some dollars here and there, but he's always run it pretty, pretty thin, I guess, on pretty conservatively as a small business in a conservative area. Um, didn't have huge, huge outlays everywhere, just just little, you know, little budgets for marketing, little budgets for everything. But I just wanted to grow in job numbers and in turnover. One of the things I know you do very well, uh, the VIP nights. You know that whole face-to-face marketing thing. You know you can't beat it, really. What's your, yeah. what's your secret sauce for those? Um, I mean, we're, I'm not into doing them. I mean, it, it might look fancy from the outside, but we hired a really just a nice venue. And I think if you keep it, we kept it simple and just, you know, we keep them simple and just have, you know, some nice flowers and nice decorations around the place and, and put it on well. And I'll get up and do a bit of a speech, welcome everyone and present the stock that's on display, like at our Pink Diamond night recently, uh, opening night where we had, 150 of our really good clients friends and family and i think it's the secret is keeping it simple but delivering it well you know sometimes people lash out and do these crazy over the top things that cost a fortune and at the end of the day if you don't deliver it very well it's not well received i guess so i think the secret is yeah just putting it on well keeping it simple and you know making sure everyone has a good time everyone feels welcome welcome everyone at the door do a nice welcome speech and explain what the night's all about and um, you know at the same time we didn't go in with the intention to sell everything you know like crazy and I didn't have this big gotta you know hard sell everyone on the night which I know a lot of people do VIP nights just to try and sell everything you know and that's not what it was about for me and you know I wasn't even going to have an, a, a credit card machine there actually it was just going to be a night where we welcome everyone and give them first priority to look at our stock and then say, you know, you're welcome to come into the store and, and buy things and look at them further if you like. But one of the ladies said, you better have a card machine because you don't know what will happen on the night and you don't know if people want to buy something. And we did have it there and lo and behold, sold way, way more than we ever thought we could have. So, um, you know, it's 
it's nice to to have that reaction from people but we definitely didn't go out with a hard sell we never do go out with a hard sell sort of feel it's just a casual night and just see what people and people appreciate that no doubt you are about to embark on a once <laughs> in a generation expansion you're doubling the workshop and the retail space uh clearly an initiative from the third generation young yeah mate. hey if you yeah, all yeah. That? Yeah, um, I'm so excited. Actually, I was speaking to the builders today. We've got the designs finalised, working with um, Council Town Planning at the moment. Um, this workshop and this store will be one of the most impressive, or probably if not the most impressive fit-outs in, in the state, I reckon, um, just simply because we've got the the numbers of jewellers to have a massive workshop. We've got over 10 now, as I said before, we've got 11 jewellers, including Dad and myself. So with the ability to grow to up to 20, it will become one of the biggest workshops. Um, we already are one of the biggest workshops in Queensland, but one of the biggest in Australia, I think, by the time we grow a few more apprentices. Um, and the amazing thing is we don't do trade work. We only do our own work. We've only, our customers walk through our door, we do their work, and that's how many people we need to do our customers' work. So we're not out there taking everyone else's work that, you know, just to keep our business alive. We only do our own jobs. You'll have to uh, make sure that there's a wall dedicated to some Milton and King wallpaper, who is the yeah, other business course. that's part of this regional Queensland yeah, series. For sure. you know? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm very interested to meet those guys. I've read a little bit about their business and, you know, international business. And, you know, I'm very chuffed to be associated in this sort of thing with a business of that calibre. I do think there's a lot of synergies. I hate that word. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Between between what you guys do, you know, you're a premium business, beautifully established, uh, is a real aesthetic to what you do and design, and those guys are the same. They have 600 wallpaper designs, and they're adding one a week. It's quite incredible. But anyway, I digress. You will meet them at the the Toowoomba event. Hey, Lockie, great story, mate, and I wish you all the best. And, um, you know, I look forward to seeing that uh, that new jewellery store and workshop the biggest in Queensland. Thank you. Thanks for um, for having me on the show. It took me by surprise that you'd ask us to, you know, we're just the, the, the little old family business tinkering away in a small town, but um, to be asked by, by yourself to be on the show is quite a privilege and very glad to be part of it. Mate, my pleasure. Hogan'sFamilyJewelers.com.au is where you'll find Lockie. And, uh, mate, thank you for, for sharing some great insights. No problem. Thank you, Tim. Well, there you go, team. Third generation jewellery store owner, Lachlan Hogan of Hogan's Family Jewellers in Toowoomba. I love the fact that he doesn't take for granted the longevity and history of his family business, nor is he arrogant about it. What he does see is an incredible asset that he can trade off in all his marketing messaging. I love how he's constantly looking for areas to grow. I imagine it would be relatively easy to stand still in such an established business and not want to rock the boat of those family members that have gone before him. But he's taken a bit of a different view, has young Lockie. And I love how he backs himself, growing the business by 60 or 70% in those first five years when he took over. That's no mean feat, right? Who wouldn't love a bit of that growth? I'd love to know what grabbed your attention. Call me, 0480 015150. Leave me a message. I may well play it on an upcoming episode. Well, I hope you enjoyed this seventh instalment of this series showcasing amazing businesses in regional Queensland. If you'd like me to come to your part of uh, regional Australia, send me an email, tim at timreid.com.au, and we'll see what we can do. Next week, we wrap things up by heading across to the Gold Coast, where we meet two absolute giants of business, Kenton Campbell 
the founder of Zarafa's Coffee, which is a very large coffee franchise with over 2,000 staff and 73 cafes across Australia, along with Grant Mayo, former world champion bodybuilder and founder of Nutrition Warehouse, a business turning over over 100 million bucks a year with 80 stores nationally. These guys have a fair bit to share. You don't want to miss next week's episode. If you'd love to know how and why to create helpful marketing, then grab a copy of my book, The Boomerang Effect, over at smallbusinessbigmarketing.com. If you're loving this podcast, then you'll find another 572 episodes on your favourite podcast app. I encourage you to download the Listener app, L-I-S-T-N-R. It's free and it's got this podcast, obviously, and my other podcast, Marketing in Minutes, on it. As has been the case for the past 12 years, this podcast was presented by moi, Timbo Reed, the pots and pans played by Muso Lockie Dolly. Thank you, Lockie. And then wrangled together by producer Romy Sure. Thanks, Rom. Until next time, thank you so much for tuning in. May your marketing be the absolute best marketing. Bye for now. <laughs>